Hello, my name is Joe Hennis. And I'm Jared Fairclough. Yes, you are, and welcome to To Introduce Our Guest Star, a Muppet Fan podcast presented by ToughPigs.com. In this show, Jared and I are taking it in turns to surprise each other with this week's guests. And hey, guess what? This week, it is my turn. So, Jared, you have you have no idea who our guest is. I have no idea who our guest is. I can you tell you any... it's not. Yeah, well, maybe you're wrong. Maybe I brought maybe I brought Dave Goals back. You don't maybe. know. Oh, that's true. You could have. I didn't. But that that oh. would that would have been that would been all right with me. All right, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave now. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any guesses? Do you have any idea? Do you have any clues of uh, who's who? who I are really don't. I really don't. And I'm. It's funny. I, I find this. It's it's. I'm I'm nervous each time we record one of these, because yeah. I'm just as nervous to bring on say Dave Goals, Paul Williams, Amelia Delgado. But I'm just as nervous because I have literally no idea who I'm about to talk to, and people might not realize but like this is genuine like we really don't know who the other one's about to bring on yeah that's why these interviews are so terrible <laughs> oh they're okay just um, no i have just no kidding. idea so um all right so, so look, let's do a little 20 questions here yeah except we're not gonna do 20 because we're out of time yeah fair enough um okay well i start with our usual um muppets sesame or henson sesame sesame okay is this person on the production side of things what do you mean production? As in, as in, sorry, as in, um, they're not an on-screen person. They're a writer or a director or something. Oh no, this is not a writer or director or okay, something. Okay, is this a performer? Yes, it is. Okay, is it a human performer or is it a Muppet performer? Uh, well, this person is a human. Yep. Uh, I, I, it's technically both, but we're gonna say Muppet performer for the sake of your own sanity. Okay, technically both. The thing is, you're going to introduce them. I'm going to go, of course that person makes sense. Um, but I have absolutely no idea. So I'm going to guess Jennifer Barnhart. Jared, let me tell you. Our guest today is a puppeteer and a performer of key characters in productions like Between the Lions, Johnny and the Sprites, and Avenue Q. She has been a member of the Sesame Street family since 2001, where she currently performs as Gladys the Cow, Granny Bird, and Zoe. Jared, you guessed it. We are extremely pleased to introduce our guest star, Jennifer Barnhart. Hi! Wait, where's my, How are you? Where's my face? Where's... Where is your face? Well, we're looking at your headshot, which is very lovely. <laughs> where is it? There it is. There we go. There you are. Hey, Jen. Hi! Hi, Jared. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I am well, thank you. And so excited. I'm such a fan of yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I was much. such a big Avenue Q fan. Oh, my I goodness. I still am a big Avenue Q fan. <laughs> uh, so am I. It was a great show to do, and it was a great show to watch in uh, the creation of it. I I was, I was went and saw the first reading of it at the York Theatre uh, way back before it was back when they were still pitching for it to be a, a TV series. And mm -hmm. I thought, this is just brilliant, and I hope it goes somewhere. And if it goes somewhere, boy, I hope I'm lucky enough to get to play with these people at some point. And lucky for me, I did. So. Well, you did it for years uh, as well. I did. I did. First of all, let me ask a technical question. Um, how yep. is my yep. audio? I just hooked up this new microphone. It's off to the side. And I don't have enough room in my little closet here to have the uh, to have the microphone be, like, right under. You know, See, like, you're, you're right up. 
the camera's right there and your microphone's right there and it's great. So is it a problem if I'm here? Does it sound better if I'm talking here, but that looks weird because I can't make eye contact with people? Um, it's a new setup for me. So this is sort of its maiden voyage. And I'm wondering if you can tell me how it's how it sounds. Jared, you're, you're going to be editing this. So what do you think? I am. Um, can you turn turn and speak into it again? Uh, yes, I can. Is that is okay? Yes. And now turn back and speak to me. Hello, hello. Testing, testing. One, two, three. They're pretty similar. Testing, testing. One, two, three. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they're they're pretty much the same. You're right. Um, yeah, just talk to us. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I'd much rather that it's much more yeah. conversational <laughs> and 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 chill and relaxed that way. Yes. So anyway, for sure, that's what this is too. This is just a conversation between friends. I love this. It's wonderful. Yes. It's <laughs> that's all it is. Uh, I like your setup. It's it's like you're like in bed. Thank you. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's the only thing that will absorb sound. This is a, a cedar closet. I'm I, where where mm -hmm. my boyfriend and I live in Philadelphia is this great old pre-war building, and it's an honest to god floor to ceiling cedar. The walls are cedar. Everything is cedar in here, which is great, except that it bounces sound like crazy. So uh, I've got yeah. furniture blankets. I've got a little pillow fort, if you can see. I, I, I can't really maneuver the camera to show you, but I have pillows up above. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like my little clubhouse. It's, it is very cozy in here. It's very nice. Yeah, it looks comfortable. Yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice. Well, you look like you're in bed. I've literally got my bed just here. See? that. So I might start doing the show just from bed from now on. Why not? Why not? Be I comfy. Mean, exactly right. I mean, I don't get out of my pajamas all day long. Why Why bother? Oh, yeah. I, I, I just put on this shirt because I was like, hey, maybe I should not be <laughs> wearing. <laughs> First of all, it would have made me blend in completely with my background and you just would have seen like this this white floating disembodied head. So that would have been silly. But... You know what, though? My, my wife has been making fun of me because so I own a lot of like gray sweaters and shirts. Like it just so happens that's what I you know, ended up with. Mm -hmm. And we have a great couch. And because I work from the couch every day, she's like, you, I can't see you. You're blending completely into the furniture. <laughs> and I don't know. I also kind of feel like I'm sinking into the furniture. Like that's just, um, I'm, I am now one with the couch. That is as it an were. occupational hazard in these, in these quarantine and snowpocalypse times. Mm -hmm. It's well, true. That's it's it. True. I mean, as we're recording this, this won't go out for a couple of months, but you guys are in the middle of a giant blizzard at the moment. Yep. Pretty much, yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah, a lot of. We got like I think and we got in... like fourteen to eighteen inches here. I think. Yeah, you and we have gotten a little bit more than we. It's did still in the snowing city. right now. But yeah, we... yeah. It was snowing today. It's not blizzard, but it is still. Yeah, we got we got definitely you know maybe a foot. I don't know. I don't. I haven't been outside in days. I have no idea. I know. Well, I'm in the middle of summer, so it's quite lovely. That's very nice. Boy, wouldn't that be lovely? But wait, what, what a hard life for some. What time is it down there? Uh, currently, it's 10.33 a.m. Okay, all right. So it's at least a, a civilized hour. Yes. Good. Oh, yeah, no, no way, no way in hell I'm doing this uh, in the middle of the night. Good, good. Although he's also with, like a day in the future, so. Yes, I am. Oh, so know, what's tomorrow? Say, today, like, warn today's us Wednesday. Bad coming. That's true, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's it doesn't get better. <laughs> anyway, thank you for uh, uh, for having me on and 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 all that. Of course, it's it's such a treat whenever we get to talk to you. So thank you for for joining Yay. us. Um, so um, we have so much that we want to ask you about, like Avenue Q and Sesame Street and Between the Lions and and what else. Um, so you, uh, the thing that I'm I'm think I'm most curious about. I have a lot of thoughts about Sesame Street, but you started in season thirty two. 
And like, how did that come about for you? Like, like what got you through the door into Sesame Street? Well, it's, it's funny because I had been knocking on that door for a couple of years as a puppeteer, um, but uh, didn't really have any traction. You know, I, was, I had an office job uh, and was trying desperately to get work doing any kind of performing, whether it was human or puppeteering. And um, I had been actually, I, oh man, I tried to do so many different things. I, I did do some live puppet theater in, in the East Village for the Czechoslovakian American Marionette Theater Company, which incidentally is a theater company that Eric Jacobson worked for way, way back in the day. We weren't there at the same time, but I was trying desperately to, to try to get in the door just to do, be doing anything like that. And honestly, the way I got to Sesame Street was through working on other shows. So I ended up working on um, on Between the Lions. That was my entree into the world of, oh my gosh, I'm actually doing this like for a living now. This is, this is what I'm doing. Ah! Um, <laughs> and from there, in the sort of work breeds work kind of thing, uh, that opened the door for me to work on uh, Bear in the Big Blue House for a couple of days, you know, just as a background character. And uh, then that led to the Book of Pooh for the Disney Channel, where I was the head puppeteer on Owl for the first two seasons, for the first season. I had to go back and do Between the Lions at one point. So, so I had these other shows that were going on, which was great. And what's wonderful is that Sesame had been like, yeah, okay, whatever. We don't know who you are to, wait a minute, who is this girl? She keeps showing up on other shows. Maybe we should like have her here. So, uh, that was how I got to Sesame, which was by getting work, doing a lot of other things on other shows. And I was so lucky that I came of age as a performer at a time when there were a bunch of puppet TV projects shooting in New York City, you know? And many of the puppeteers who worked on Sesame Street basically went from show to show to show to show to show, which was grand. I just hadn't cracked that nut yet. So uh, Sesame season 30, what is it? See, what did you say? Season 32? The, the wiki says season 32. 32. That's, I don't know if that's accurate. I think it was season 34. It was, it was the, oh, really? the well, I'm not sure. The year, you you would know better than I. Isn't it embarrassing? You think I'd know that. It was, it's fine, it's fine. Um, but it was 2002 that I shot it. So yeah, that would be, that might, that might be season 32. Yeah. If they, um, oh, good. Cause it's the, the production would have been a, about a year before it was before released. It aired. Yeah. 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 So that means my 20th anniversary is, is ah! happy anniversary. That's, cool. That's exciting. <laughs> but it, it, of course I spent 13 or 14 seasons as a day player and then eventually you know, joined the cast full time when when Zoe happened. But yeah, and there were seasons where I I don't think I worked a single day. There were seasons where I worked two or three weeks. There were seasons where I worked a day, and then there were one or two seasons where I didn't work at all. So, I think that's one of those things that that's one of those misconceptions about puppeteers on Sesame Street is that it's like, well, that's Sesame Street. You're on the show. That's just your job, and that's the only thing that you do. And it's like, it couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even when you do get to be on the show more regularly or full time, as you know, we only shoot six to eight weeks out of the year. So there's the rest of your year you got to fill. <laughs> so we all do yeah. a bunch of different things. No, I, I've said this many times, but I'm so glad I never got bitten by the 
the performer performing bug that like I, I'm not an actor I'm not a puppeteer I, I'm you know I I don't have to go through that like well I got I'm working today but uh, I don't know how I'm gonna eat tomorrow yep. and uh, you know or even like I got this great big job that's gonna last me for the next six months but I also have to be worrying now about what I'm doing seven months from now that just sounds like a nightmare it's it's a lot it's a lot uh and and there i i have jokingly said for 20 plus years now i really should figure out what else i can do if this puppet thing doesn't work out i I still (laughs) say that 22 years into doing it um and there was there was a period of time oof there was a period of time it was a real dry spell right before i got priced out of my apartment in brooklyn had to leave the city uh, Avenue Q had ended for me. Um, so I, and the work was dry, 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 dry. And I remembered saying to my accountant, you know, and he's an accountant who does a, a lot with performers and artists. And I said, oh, you know, I was thinking of, of maybe getting some training in a different field. And without looking up from his computer, he went, let me guess, yoga instructor or massage therapist. And I stopped and he went, which one was it? I said, massage therapist. He went, yeah, okay. Let me just tell you, you think it's going to give you what you want. You think it's going to give you security. You think it's going to give you control over your schedule. You think it's going to give you, it's not going to give you benefits. That's for sure. Uh, You're going to end up putting yourself about $10,000 in debt, getting training in this new field. Uh, It's not going to give you what you want. Take my advice, take what you already know how to do and apply it in a different way. I don't know. Try teaching. Why do you people do this to me? He actually said, why do you people do this to me? <laughs> I was like, well, okay, that's honest. But fortunately, it's true. Uh, uh, the, there have been a few times that I have almost been plucked out of doing what I have been doing and had to figure out something else. And both times I was snatched back right from the brink of going, I, I got to come up with another plan. So, Well, thank goodness for that. I think so too and thank you thank you for saying yeah. that that's very kind <laughs> so you finally get on sesame street mm-hmm. what do you remember from that first day wow i remember many things uh i was terrified <laughs> because my first day was i i did an episode as grandma snuffleupagus and it was it was your first day as you did a snuffleupagus yep because that's oh intense, God. right? No right-handing, no background AMs. Nope, you're, <laughs> you're in Snuffy. I think I'm I'm wow. one of two women ever to have been in there uh, because I'm a tall, strapping lass, which is good. Uh, and I remembered Marty. I had met Marty on a handful of occasions prior to that. He had actually we'd actually worked together on Between the Lions. He played Cleo's dad. On between the, on an episode of Between mm. the Lines, which is very very sweet, and you know our pads have costed the O'Neill and various other ways, but uh, so he was very very kind, um, and I remember him hefting the hat because of course it was just snuffy, but then they were going to dress her up with a wig and a hat and a shawl and whatever to make her look like Grandma Snuffle, I guess, and um, he lifted the hat that the Wranglers brought over to him. And he was like, "God, could you have made it any heavier?" All right, Jen, here comes another 15 pounds. And inside, inside you're wearing this backpack uh, harness and it kind of, it's kind of like a camping backpack harness so that it, it, to try to evenly distribute the weight. So it was on my hips, but it was built for Marty and not for me. 
so it didn't quite hit me in the right spot. I had I had bruises on my hip bones for a week, um, and all I thought was just just don't don't take out any part of the set. Don't take out any puppeteers. Don't knock anybody over. You're in this big thing. Um, and Bruce Connolly was my back half, uh, which was very sweet. And in an odd turn of events, I have known Bruce Connolly since I was 15 years old because he was the former college roommate of my high school theater director. And he would come to adjudicate when we would do drama festivals and different things. And he came to adjudicate the shows. And we were all so excited. We would go, oh, he's a real New York actor. Oh, he's a real New York actor. And, uh, and <laughs> we were doing a play, The Shadow Box. And I was playing because I have, as I've said many times before, I have always been this height and I have always had this voice. So I've been playing women who are at least 40 years old and sometimes up to 80 something <laughs> since I was 13 or 14 years old. And, uh, and I was playing this little old lady who was, it was a very dark play, um, a terminal. Everybody had terminal illness involved in it. I was a dying little old lady. And, uh, and Bruce said, so uh, where's the teacher who played Felicity? And I raised my hand and he went, no, 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 no. Who played the old lady character? Stand up, wait. You, how old are you? I said, I'm, I'm 15. And he went, I, I can't even talk to you right now. I have to talk to you afterwards because I can't wrap my brain around the fact that you were only 15 and you did that part. Never mind. I'll talk to you later. And I subletted from Bruce. He was the first place I subletted from in New York City. So I had known Bruce for this whole period of time, didn't know he was Barkley the dog on Sesame Street. And then all of a sudden we sort of find each other and are going, wait, you do this? Wait, how, how are we both here at the same time? And you're, well, get in my back half because you're going to be my back end for Grandma Steffi. <laughs> so I remember, I remember that. I remember um, sweating so much. I remember when I, <laughs> at the end of the day, I kind of tripped when I was getting out. It was great. Nothing happened. I didn't do anything bad when I was in the puppet, but getting out, I sort of tripped and stumbled out. And it must have looked for all the world like, like Snuffy'd had a cesarean and this tall, <laughs> red-faced blonde woman who was drenched in sweat <laughs> spilled out and onto the floor. It was, it had to have been very, it was traumatizing to experience. I can't even imagine what it was like to witness it, but it was, uh, it was a lot. Um, and I do remember, this is a memory I've, I've, I was just thinking about lately. Uh, I, it was, I had finished the day. I'd said my thank yous to everybody. I was like, okay, I made it through the day. This is great. And I, this was back when uh, we used to shoot on the first floor. So there's this long corridor to take you to the front of the studios. And I'd said goodbye to everybody. And I'm walking down the corridor and I'm trying to be professional. I'm trying to be professional. And as soon as I got to the end of the hallway, the gravity of what had happened hit me and I just started jumping up and down like a child and and sort of squealing going oh my god I did it I did it I did it and at that very moment Eric <laughs> Jacobson was walking at the other end of the hall from one side over to the other the Muppet room and he just looked down the hall and he saw I saw that and just kept walking <laughs> So I totally got caught out being having a, a total fangirl moment uh, at the end of my first day of, you know, feeling like I was a pro, pretending to be a pro. It's true, though. Like, like sometimes you just recognize that there's a day in your life that's just changing your life, for, you know, for the good. You know, that's, it's, you know, a complete 
right turn to to the rest of your life. Yeah. And yeah, and you recognize it. I mean, that's I mean, it's incredible. Well, it's an incredible feeling, I'm sure. Yes, it's interesting. I I did recognize it, but it, at the, at one and the same time, and I felt this way for the first 13 or 14 years on Sesame. It, there were many times when I went, well, yeah, maybe that was it. When I was doing day playing stuff, every day I worked on the street, I finished the day and thought that was such a gift and it may very well be my last mm-hmm. day here. So I'm just going to enjoy every second of what just happened today because this might be it, you know? So I when, when I finally joined the company as a, as a full uh, cast member, that, that was so gratifying and validating and, and felt like, oh man, I, okay, yeah, I can do this. And I have been doing it very well elsewhere. <laughs> but getting to be on Sesame and have that, that just is very, very special and still is. So while you're doing Sesame, you're also doing Avenue Q. And like you said, you did Avenue Q for years. So what's it like then to be on Sesame Street during the day and then at nighttime go to what was essentially a parody of what you've been working on all day? <laughs> it was it was pretty fun. It was great getting to play both sides of of that spectrum. Um, I actually, the, I, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was pretty great. <laughs> I don't know what other, any other way to just say it, but it was because as we do, and, and as I'm sure you know, when it's between takes, you sort of blow off steam, and and that's when you know, the sort of snarkier side of the characters get to come out and play and to be able to do that at nighttime without having to hold back about it was uh, was very liberating and great, great fun to do. I'm curious, you know, as you were, I mean, this these decisions were probably made before you joined Avenue Q since there was so much workshopping going on. But I remember seeing it for the first time, which I, I also, I have to brag, I was there opening night uh, uh, on Broadway, ah! which was super exciting. Uh, I was in the probably the second to last seat up in the balcony, so I could barely see anything. But I was I was there. Um, but no, but I'm curious the the role that you played. Uh, you you had a couple of speaking characters, but um, Stephanie DeBruzzo's uh, uh, line, you know, she had so many different characters that could have gone to you or or really. I mean, I guess it's really just the two of you uh, were the female puppeteers. So I was curious why um, those weren't split a little bit more evenly um, uh, or was it always kind of the plan? Well, it, Stephanie can probably speak to that better than I can again, because those decisions were made before I auditioned for the original off-Broadway uh, run. But I do think that part of it was money because it saved mm. them money at the time. They only had, to, because I was covering Stephanie's track, then they only had to hire one other female performer to cover my track and Stephanie's track. So they, oh, interesting. So they saved money. <laughs> and I remember, right. I remember one time at a talk back with some high school kids uh, where they were asking questions about something and Stephanie said, well, because it saved money and the kids laughed. And I, and I said, no, no, seriously, anytime you have a question about why something may or may not have happened in an artistic vein, if it could be answered by, it was either to make or save money, 
chances are that was probably one of the reasons and probably a pretty influential one of the reasons. Right, right. So, but I, I was lucky because I got to, because I covered Stephanie, I got to play all of the parts. Uh, when I was doing my own track, I had my hand in every single character with the exception of the newcomer, the one who sings the BA in English reprise at the end of right. the show. But I got to have my hand in every other character. Um, well, that's it. You're all over that show right-handing, especially for, um, you know, Trekkie and Nikki and stuff like that. Um, one thing that, because I watched a... um. Like I've got a bootleg of it somewhere um, from like the original cast. Jared, oh, I know, I'm sorry. How dare you? Um, but one thing I've noticed is because obviously you know, say Nikki, right? So Rick's doing Nikki, and he's acting along. Um, one thing I found really interesting is watching your face during it as well, because you're quite often making the same facial expressions or emoting those same sort of feelings that Nikki or Trekkie or whoever is doing. Was that so that it flowed easier? Was that just something you were doing without thinking about it? Now, this is a very interesting question, and there is a, a genesis to it. I remembered asking uh, when I was first joining the company and first day of rehearsals, I remembered asking the director and the puppeteers, I said, so what are we doing? Are, 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 we, are we doing this or are we doing this? Because if I'm, of course, this is a, this is a radio podcast, so... <laughs> As I'm puppeteering, am I looking? So, I think it was this and not this. It was one of these guys, right. but not this up over there. Yeah. Yeah. So my question was, uh, as I'm puppeteering, am I looking out at the audience or am I looking at the character? Because if I'm looking at the character, I'm sort of forcing the audience to look at the character as well. But if I'm looking out at the house and the puppet is looking out at the house, where's the audience supposed to look? And the answer was, well, that's kind of the point. We actually want it to be open. We want it to be a truly shared performance so that the audience gets to kind of choose where they clue in. Um, and because the puppets themselves don't have facial features, they don't have mechies, they don't have eyebrows that raise or anything, a lot of the sort of subtle interpretive cues as to what a character was going on could be translated on the performer's face. Uh, Rick Lyon always had a really great way of describing it. He said, watching the first five minutes of Avenue Q is very much like watching the first five minutes of a foreign film with subtitles. At first, you're very aware of your focus going down to read the lines and then look back at the action that's happening on screen. And then you eventually get used to the convention and it all just becomes part of the storytelling. So there was that aspect to it. But since I was right-handing, I thought, well, okay, that all makes sense for whoever is the head puppeteer. Of course, their face is going to be, you know, very connected to what's happening emotionally with the character, but I'm not meant to draw focus. And since I come from a theatrical background and have done puppetry in, in theater as well as for, for TV, uh, I thought, well, then I have to keep my face as neutral as I possibly can so that people aren't distracted by, by you know, all of these faces to look at. So I would be very, you know, I, I'm not wearing a, a hood or anything like that, but I tried to keep my face as sort of neutral as possible while I was doing everything. And on the second or third preview, uh, a friend of the stage managers came up to me and, and he had been working in the theater for many years. And he said, I just have to ask you, are, are you having fun doing this show? And I said, I'm having a blast. <laughs> Why? He said, because I was so distracted looking at your face. You seemed really checked out of what was happening 
on stage. And I thought, oh, whoa, oh, that is completely antithetical to my thinking as a stage puppeteer. But as a stage actor, that makes sense to me. Then fast forward a few days later, and it's our fifth preview at the Vineyard off-Broadway. And in a blackout, uh, I we had just finished doing the Internetters for Porn. And I pulled my hand out of Trekkie so that Rick and I could exit single file off stage right. Well, Rick stepped off the stage in the blackout because we, we ended a big spotlight and we're blind. We're just blind, flailing blindly, trying to get into the wings. And Rick fell off the stage and sprained his ankle. And we came in the next day and he said, he hobbled it on crutches. And they said, yeah, they say I have to be off my feet for the next five weeks. Oh no. And our director said, we don't have understudies. What are we going to do? And the stage manager said, well, hang on. And, and Rick, Rick was like, no, there, there's a way to fix this. Jen lip syncs to my vocal performance for some of the show. Why doesn't she just do it for all of the show? So <laughs> Jesus. for the next five weeks, Rick sat and, and it was sort of stadium seating in this little 125 seat house. And off to the side uh, on the floor level, Rick sat with his leg propped up on a chair and a handheld microphone. And he did the radio play of the whole show. And I did the puppeteering and performing just as a mute. I'm Harpo Marx. I'm up there and he's doing the vocal performance and I'm just lip syncing along for my life. And at that point, I definitely had to get my face engaged in what was happening to sort of help make it all make sense. So yeah, we we opened that way. We we were reviewed that way. We ran for, for five weeks that way. How did you do, did you do both Bad Idea Bears? Yes. For that? Yes, I did both Bad Idea Bears and, and in... Uh, so everybody had to do some doubling up. So when I was doing Trekkie in the cafe scene, right as, as mm-hmm. Stephanie's about to get out of Kate and go do Lucy, and since I wasn't there to retrieve Kate, she had to stick Kate on John Tartaglia's other arm. So John's doing <laughs> Kate and Princeton watching Lucy while I'm doing Trekkie. Then Trekkie runs off, and then I slip back in to... Uh, I'm able to pick up Lucy and do the rest of my part of that scene, rest of my regular track of that scene. So we all ended up, and oh, and Stephanie had to puppeteer both Kate and Princeton for Fantasies Come True, because I was being Nikki. Wow. It was a lot of running around. It sounds like it's... chaos. <laughs> it was absolute <laughs> chaos. It really was. It was. I'm but hoping it there's worked. some sort of bootleg of that out there somewhere. Someone can send me a bootleg. That'd be wonderful. I I would love to see it too. <laughs> the, you know, you, you mentioned you know the the I guess it's face acting. I don't know how else to to say it, but face acting while performing. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you. There's one moment in in Avenue Q where you are maybe the only uh, puppeteer to do body acting, which I, I guess would be like. It's basically I'm thinking of the scene where Lucy T. Slut is walking out of the room and there's like a boom, 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 and you're shaking it. <laughs> and like for a second, you forget that Lucy's body does not extend to your body. You are a human being holding a puppet, but uh, we are obviously watching everything. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I don't know. There's not really a question in there. It's just an observation that like that's something else that you that was, you, had to, yes. you had to act out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that was yeah. that was a a conscious direction from the director and the choreographer. Like you've got those legs. I'm you sure can... it was. <laughs> uh, were you were you involved with uh, training the like whoever else ended up doing that track after you decided to leave the show? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even even before that, I I spent a little bit of time as the puppet captain sort of unofficially uh there was there was a little turnover rate where i ended up training a gal who was going to be a cover for me i think she was taking over oh because amy garcia was going to do big big world so becca ayers was coming in to take over the cover parts for both me and for stephanie um and i got to i got to train her for that and it was it was kind of a lot to be doing puppet captaining during the day and doing eight shows at night. So it, it turned out to be a situation that I was great. I was grateful to get to do it there for a, in a short stint. But they ended up having um, the dance captain and the puppet captain sort of meld into one position, which made which made a lot of mm, sense anyway. Sure. So right, because um, it's all so much choreography. Anyway, well, so and it's, why not? But the, the funny thing is, there wasn't, and this is one of those things where puppetry is not something that a lot of other disciplines quite get. Actors' Equity has in all of its contracts that if a single punch is thrown in a show, there is a fight captain. If there is a single step of choreography, there is a dance captain. There are no such requirements for puppet captains for shows with puppets in them. Mm -hmm. And we kept saying to them, guys, there are plenty of moments in Avenue Q that have no dancing. There is not a single moment in this show that has no puppets. So kind of need to address that but anyway uh and 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 eventually they did you know (laughs) that they did but 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 having to the need to explain it as is always the the ballywick of of every puppeteer is is having to explain why we do what we do yes it requires a certain special set of tools for us to be able to do our job correctly and well i did end up uh, at one point actually the one thing that was very educational for the performers because also i did i did step in and do a bit of puppet captaining later on in the run where many of the people who had come into the show were no were not puppeteers they'd had no experience with puppetry prior to doing the show and after some of them had been in for a while i said listen actors equity has now allowed for some flexibility of whether you can videotape rehearsals I would really love to do a run of the show and videotape it and sit down with the puppeteers with a big old TV and just talk about what's happening. Because the first time Rick and I ever got to see any video footage of what we were doing, we were like, oh, wow, uh, I'm looking in completely the wrong direction. What are you doing here? I thought you were doing this. Ah, my hand is completely not matching yours on the relation to the body and where he is. So, um, I mean, it's, it's it's such an essential tool for a TV puppeteer. We couldn't do our job without seeing what we do. So that doing it on stage and, and having to play to multiple points of view, that's the other tricky thing is that for television, you're playing to a single point of view. You're playing to the camera. That's all you have to worry about. But in a theater, and especially when we moved to Broadway, 796 seats, we had 796 points of view to worry about. 
So it, it was very educational for them to be able to see that that external view of what they were doing. Um, so that, that I actually really did enjoy getting to do that with them for a little while. But I have so when, I have coached it since. Oh, sorry. Since I, once I left the show, I got they would occasionally call me in to help train somebody new. You know. Well, that's what I was going space. to ask. So when someone new comes in, quite often these actors who take over your roles aren't puppeteers. Mm-hmm. Are you having to go through like an intensive workshop for like a week or whatever it is with them? Oh, yeah. um, I, I asked that because um, I saw a production of it in Melbourne when it came to Australia um, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And I'd say however many puppeteers there are, but like, all of them were great. There was just one particular person who seemed to forget that the puppet was the character and seemed to just sort of like almost the puppet would sort of look dead or sort of would almost be, um, and again, this is a visual uh, example I'm giving you, um, but almost be like tilted off a little bit. Um, yeah. And I just remember looking at it going, that's just bad puppetry. So yeah. were you, so what was that training period like for them? It's it, it is very difficult. I mean, it's uh, as as part of the audition process because <clears throat> I did help a little bit with that on a handful of occasions. Um, you would only have two days with them. They would they would whittle it down to maybe eight people, eight to ten people they were considering, and then you had two four hour days with that group trying to get them to learn how to do this. And and the best way I could explain it to them was to say, listen, uh, I am at this point, at that point in time, I was the last, if, if you're performing in Avenue Q with a puppet, it's like you're performing in a foreign language. I am the last native speaker. I was fluent in this language before I ever approached this show. Everyone who's in the show now have taken an immersion class and are conversationally fluent. At the end of the next eight hours that I get with you, I'm hoping that maybe you can say, hello, my name is, and where's the bathroom? Now, I'm not expecting you to get the vocabulary right. I'm not expecting you to conjugate the verbs correctly. But if you can communicate an idea through this thing on your hand, if you can start to to channel a performance through your hand, as opposed to it just being this, this appendage, this disembodied appendage that's stuck to you, that's what we're looking for. That potential is what we're looking for. Um, and some people improved in those eight hours, and and that was a great foundation for them to continue to improve. And in many instances, at least in, in the U.S. casting of Avenue Q, we got really lucky because we got people who were huge fans of of the Muppets and and of this kind of puppetry and who had always sort of wanted to try it and and either had had dalliances with it or just never had an occasion to try it and they dove in full bore. Um, and that I would say that was probably about 80% of the casting that happened. But then you would also find some people who just never quite got it. And they might improve in those first eight hours of the workshop and that was as good as they got god bless them but uh so yeah it's 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 hard it's it's such a difficult skill to learn and and so once they got cast they would have two solid weeks of rehearsal 
and then they'd have their first put in. And then in some instances, they would take over the role after two weeks of rehearsal and they would look green. And I would say, listen, it's going to take you probably about three months before you feel like you're actually performing this thing. It's, it's like a musical instrument. There comes a point when you are just playing notes and learning your scales and you're, you're playing notes off of a piece of music. And then eventually there comes a point where you start to perform it, where you start to express an emotion through the music and you'll get there, but it takes a long time. It's a very foreign skill set. And some people just never quite got there. And some people, once they got it, you sort of got the sense that maybe they didn't think they'd liked it after all. That was very rare. That was a very rare example. But but for the most part, people people knew how much work it was and they were willing to put in the work. Um, Howie Michael Smith, who was a, a, a lovely fellow, he was one of the earlier replacements um, and one of the earlier understudy replacements. And he would, as he was learning as an understudy and while he was sort of waiting in the wings and doing his thing, he would take... I loved this. He would take scenes from the Muppet movie and he would have it playing on his laptop and then he'd pause. And then he'd look in the mirror and he'd try to figure out exactly how to tilt the character's head to convey a certain emotion, how to breathe the phrasing of a line. He was so methodical about it and it paid off so that by the time he took over the character, he had he had put in all of that work and he was raring and ready to go. And, and it was great, but... Yeah, it's 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 hard to watch <laughs> when it's hard. It's hard. It's it's not it's not everybody's thing, you know. Yeah, and and I think people see you know puppets on TV and they go, yeah, you just flap the mouth open and close, and that's it. Like you could like how hard could that be? Yeah. But people have no idea, and of course, this is something like I mean, anyone listening to this podcast knows you know everything that goes into a, a puppet performance and how complicated it can be. You know, even once you get past, like, keeping your arm in the air, which is probably, I mean, I, I can't do that for, you know, for an entire length of a Broadway show. Um, and then, yeah, to, to teach that to someone cold, uh, especially someone who, you know, maybe they even think, uh, you know, I've already, you know, taken acting lessons and dance lessons and I've been in shows and I know I have all these skills. Of course, they would translate, but. It's it's a completely different skill, like you say. It's a it's a foreign language. Yeah, yeah. So then you leave the show. In whenabouts did you leave the show? Well, I stayed with the show for the entire run that it was on Broadway. So from two thousand three to September of twenty of two thousand nine, I was with the show all those years, and so so grateful and happy to be so. Um, when they announced we were closing, I had already taken another gig. So when the closing didn't happen, but instead was a transfer to its new off-Broadway home, or as I like to call it, under-Broadway, because uh, it was in a basement <laughs> theater uh, at New World Stages. So uh, it had its original off-Broadway run, then its Broadway run, then its under-Broadway run. Um, so I had already moved on to other things, but I was occasionally, uh, I was someone that they would call to be a, a vacation swing or uh, one one year there was, I want to, I would say that every year that it was running, except for the last year, I would swing into the show at some point for either two weeks or two months 
to cover somebody's vacation time. Somebody had surgery that they had to have a medical leave kind of thing. So I would show up every now and again. And uh, the stage manager, Christine Daly, who had been with the show since the original off-Broadway run, she would all, her shoulders would drop whenever I would walk in the door and she would say, uh, you, you just make everyone better because you remind them, you remind them of what good puppetry is and you give them something to reach for. And frankly, they all kind of want to impress you. <laughs> I was like, all right, I can live with that. That's going to feel good. So yes. in that last, um, as the show was closing, a lot of the original cast went back and did like a number or um, whatever it was. Did you take part in that? Yeah, I got to do it twice. Uh, I got to do it as just me. Um, and I went and did special um, on one of the performances. And Rick and I got to do uh, If You Were Gay into do we get to do part of the next scene no i think i think it might have just been if you were gay and uh it was astonishing that we had to hold for two minutes because the audience would not stop screaming and would not stop clapping and it's very moving when i stop and think about it uh, again, but just the amount of love for that show and for those characters, it's, it's mind-blowing. That was, that changed my life. Avenue Cube changed my life in so many ways uh, that I could never have foreseen. Um, and that, get, getting to touch base with that one last time was very, very special. And actually, now that I think about it, it wasn't for the closing. It wasn't for the closing. It was for the 15th anniversary. During oh, okay, the 15th yes. anniversary, they did that. So we didn't know that there was an end in sight. At that point in time, it was like, well, this show could run forever. It's got a pretty low overhead and they're still selling pretty well. But <laughs> that was what we thought anyway. That's what, what did we know? But it was it was really, really powerful to get to be a part of that and to be part of this thing that that took on a life of its own and is so much bigger than any of us, you know, and, and to to release ownership of the characters. Uh, I remember the first couple of times that I had seen somebody who wasn't John playing Rod. I thought, well, that's that's not my Rod. That that that's. That's a different rod, but it's, it feels funny. It feels weird. But because there was so much of a turnover, uh, what's kind of great is that the essence of the character remains the same, but then gets all of these other energies that shape and develop and deepen it further. Um, you know, it, it, a little bit like Doctor Who, I would think. You know, everybody mm, goes, yeah. who's your doctor? You know, David Tennant, that's me, doctor, you know, he's the 10th doctor, he's mine. Um, so everybody has their, you know, who was your Kate monster? Who was your Rod? Who was, you know, and it's, it's wonderful that these characters have had such an impact on people. Um, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing and pretty wonderful. Well, I mean, for years, it's, 
almost all I thought about. It was like what that obsession I had, like it was Muppets here, but it was Avenue Q for so long. Um, and to the point where now if I put a puppet on my hand, my immediate reaction is to do a Rod voice or my version of Rod. Um, funny. And so it's so ingrained in me. And I have friends who I have made because like one of my best friends now, he and I bonded over Avenue Q um, when we were about 14. I think he burnt me the soundtrack in drama class. And I listened to it and I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen or heard. Um, and still one of my best friends now, he's going to be very jealous when he finds out that I was talking to you. <laughs> well, um, I said hi. <laughs> I will. Um, so, yeah, I guess just thank you for that because it really was and still is a very important part of my life, even though I never actually have done the show. And you know what? None of us ever tires of hearing that. Occasionally there is that shocking moment of, I'm sorry, you were how old? Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me get my Geritol. <sighs> but, uh, but hearing what an impact it made for, for so many people and, and that it was one of the comments that people had said early on in the run that let me know that we really had something on our hands. And it was something that I knew because this was not a foreign world to me, but people would say, okay, I came to your show expecting to laugh, but I did not expect to be moved. Yeah. And that's a pretty wonderful tribute to the writing as well as to the characters mm -hmm. and the music. And I mean, it was just a perfect, but having said that it, it took, it had its birthing pains. I mean, the, the opening night gift that the book writer, Jeff Whitty gave us was uh, all of the material that had been cut from the show. <laughs> and it was 126 pages. Wow. <laughs> there was a lot that didn't make it. And you thumb through it and you go, Ooh, yeah, I see maybe why, or, Oh, that was kind of funny. It just didn't help the narrative. So, you know, it, it's, it's an incredible process. Well, and I think it's, it'd be so easy to just do, like, a blue version of, of Sesame Street. It would be so easy to just, like, fill it full of, like, gross jokes, sex jokes, you know, like, the, the, the worst things you could possibly imagine. And people would probably go see it. People would probably be interested in something like that. I'm personally not. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, to see, like, yes, it's an adult version of Sesame Street. Yes, there's sex. Yes, there's, you know, some adult themes. But it's not really about that. That's that's kind of just the color that, that's added to this world to set it apart from Sesame Street. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the best parts of the show are not that, I guess, the easy blue, whatever the you want to call laughs. it. The cheap laughs. Not uh, the cheap laughs. The cheap laughs. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. The cheap laughs, which I imagine is in those 120 pages that you got. <laughs> There's a few cheap laughs in there for sure. And, and boy, yeah. when that's the other thing is um, <laughs> the creative team found out very quickly in those early days of rehearsal and in figuring all of these things out something that all of you who know TV, the world of TV puppetry very well, uh, TV puppeteers have relationships on set with the cameramen and women and with directors that most performers don't have, which as a sidebar was a shock to me the first time that I found myself as a human ironically playing a puppeteer for an episode of Law and Order SVU. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked onto the set 
and I went over to introduce myself to the camera guys. And they're, they got the crossword puzzles and they're looking at me like, okay, whatever, sweetheart. And went back to doing their things. And I thought, oh, oh, wait, no, human actors probably don't do this. I mean, they do if this is their show. Like if I was a recurring character, yeah. Then, then maybe if I was a series regular, yeah, then by then you probably know the names of the people operating the camera. But if you're just coming in as a day player, so. yeah. yeah. But if you're coming in as a day player, not so much. Um, so we, as puppet performers, are constantly trying to help troubleshoot and make things better. Constantly offering suggestions to the director. Constantly, you know, having a back and forth dialogue about these things. And I think it was... A surprise to the creative team of Avenue Q to discover that they had puppeteers on their hands who were very, very uh, outspoken about how we felt about things and about the characters and about what would and wouldn't come out of their mouths and, you know, <laughs> things that we're used to doing in this other world that didn't necessarily translate into this world. Um, Oh gosh, I'm sort of forgetting what the question was. Oh, oh, the, the cheap laugh and the cheap laugh and how, you know, we would step up in defense of those things when they arose. But for the most part, it really didn't happen that often because Avenue Q was a love letter to Sesame Street. The creators were all huge fans and there was such respect for it and such love for it. And I think that, and and I think that spirit of innocence, which Princeton kind of captures, you know, that that's that's his thing. They wanted that. They they wanted to feel good about something. You know, the the, the creators talk about how uh, Bobby and Jeff talk about as songwriting partners they met, and they said, well, so yeah, I went to college thinking I was going to do this thing, and it turned out not to be the case, and now I'm living back at home with my folks, and I'm temping, and where's the Sesame Street for me now? Because when I watched Sesame Street as a kid, I, I was, I, I felt like, hey, you're special, and you, you know, you can be what you want to be, and, and that's all great, but you know, then life happens to you. I need a Sesame Street for me for where I am right now. And that was, uh, you know, a lot of the genesis of, of the show. But the heart of it, I think, is something that was always, always there. And where's that Bobby Lopez now? Not doing anything with his life. I know, that slacker. <laughs> Jeez, Who? I, know. I don't know that guy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Just let you, it go. You were talking earlier about, uh, you were talking earlier about, um, characters changing performers and and how you know and that sort of thing and uh looking at your sesame street career especially in recent years you have inherited a lot of characters like previously established characters um like just on that short list are like gladys the cow and mama bear and granny bird and you mentioned granny snuffleupagus earlier and of course zoe which is i mean it's fantastic that you've been able to take the the reins of such a popular character from Fran, the great Fran. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Big toe shoes um, to fill. How, yes. <laughs> yeah. No joke. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about Zoe for a second. Like how, did, uh, how did the audition process work or was there an audition? Did they just kind of tell you like, can you do this? No, no, there was definitely, a, actually there, there were two rounds of auditions. Um, and, uh, they had the first round of auditions. They had the first, they had the round of auditions for Prairie Dawn and Zoe on the same day. 
And that was Fran Brill's last day on set. Oh, no. And so you were doing it through tears, I'm sure. And they asked Fran to sit in on the auditions to basically help, you know, give some feedback because no one knows Mm -hmm. those characters better than she does. And yeah, of course, I found it incredibly helpful to have her there. And she was very kind. And, and at first she said, it's, this is kind of weird that, that this is happening, but I mean, I don't know. Do you want me in the room? And and we're all like, yes, <laughs> yes, please. Um, so uh, I found her very, very helpful in terms of, and she was very kind and very generous uh, about giving her insights and also some vocal uh, tricks and tweaks and things. And out of that audition, Stephanie got Prairie Dawn right away. And then they took a little time and they had us go around for a second round of auditions for Zoe. Um, and I remembered thinking, I, I don't have, I just don't have the vocal instrument that Fran does. I just don't. And if I try to manufacture it, it's going to sound strained in my voice and it's going to put me pitching it in something that sounds a little too close to, you know, Elmo's got a high voice, Abby's got a high voice. So for me to try to reach up there was was very challenging. And, and in the second audition, I relaxed a little bit with that and thought, you know what, I can do the laugh. That's my hook, at least as far as the vocal performance goes. But as far as the energy of the character, as far as, you know, what I saw in her as as kind of a, a, a spunky impulsiveness um and and a, and a left field way of thinking you know because Rocco Rocco <laughs> a pet rock that is not a typical pet so I thought okay great she's got a very vivid imagination so when she plays pretend she plays pretend all in she is all in with that and and I that was sort of a direction I chose to try to take with her at least in in the audition process and I thought well that's something that's a bit of me that I can bring to to Zoe so um so I did and then it was a couple of months and by that point I had gone down to do my other Another path that my career had taken, this was around the time that I had very little money and I was doing regional theater at Alabama Shakespeare Festival and I was playing Lady Macbeth and I got a phone call from Matt Vogel (laughs) and uh, there had been another format that we tried. It was an alternate cookie monster format. It was called Smart Cookies and I had done a little bit of work on that, which was really fun. Miss Fortune, I loved that character. She was great, uh, but it looked like they... They said, "Yeah, I think I think it's going to be rethought. I, th- I don't think it, I don't think anything's going to come further out of that, uh, but I'm not sure." And Matt said, "So I'm not sure what's happening with Smart Cookies, but I do know what's happening with Zoe, and it's you." And I screamed and I said, "Matt, Matt, it's my birthday!" He said, "I know. I'm really happy too." And I went, "No, Matt, it's my actual birthday today. <laughs> it's my birthday." He's like, "Oh, happy birthday!" I went, "Yeah, best birthday present ever." <laughs> so that was my journey to oh, i love Zoe. that yes. excellent <laughs> oh that's great yes wow what a gift i'll say uh, and I, i'll say you've you've yeah. done very well with zoe you really have um i think i think in the wrong hands she could have just because as you said she's so 
left brain or right brain, whatever you want to say, and she's so imaginative and that voice and everything as well. In the wrong person, that could have gone, that she could have just become one of those like retired Muppets. Um, but you've really, you've hit the nail on the head. You've done very well. Oh, that means more to me than I could possibly say. Thank you so much. Because it is, as any any puppeteer will tell you, if they've taken over a legacy character, it you feel the weight of that responsibility. You do. And, and you want to try to honor where the character has been. And you don't want to disappoint fans of that character. And... But so so to hear that really does mean the world to me. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm curious about another character that you've been playing for the last year or two. Um, you are new cast member Charlie's mom. Yes, I'm a human. Which so <laughs> you get to be a human on Sesame Street, which is I mean, there's it's rare that, that the show adds a new human. Um, Charlie is a new, uh, the first new child character, uh, human, child human actor. Ooh, that's a Ooh, weird combination of words. A lot. Um, in years. Yeah. Uh, and so when Charlie's mom needs to be on screen, there you are. Yeah. So like, how did that come about? That was a great set of happenstance. Um, so we were shooting one of the first HBO specials on location in the summer. It was the follow that wand special. Uh, Get that get wand. That wand. Get the wand chase right. or something. <laughs> Whatever it was. The, oh, the magical wand chase. Oh, good lord. Get that one may have been the an earlier title that and I, you and yeah. I know and nobody else does. Possibly. <laughs> anyway, that one, the very first one. Hmm. Um, and in the scene or in, in the show, there's a scene where um this bird who has taken the wand flies down and snatches a little girl's toy elephant. And then the toy elephant gets turned into a big Muppet elephant and it's, you know, madness ensues. Um, and they had cast uh, Carolyn Volpe, who does uh, a lot of the, the child casting. Um, she had cast Violet, the young lady who plays Charlie, as this little girl. And they needed somebody to be holding her hand and being her mom. So they said, hey, Jen, you're going to be you're going to be this kid's mom. I was like, oh, great. So I was all excited. What am I going to wear? All of this. And of course, all it is is my hand holding hers. You see my hand and my thigh. And that's it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But so we got to spend a few hours together, me and Violet. And uh, we just hit it off. She's such a great kid. We had such a good time together. And at one point, Carolyn looked at me and looked at Violet and said, you actually look like you could be her mom. Like this is, she said, if I may say so, this is good casting. And I was like, oh yeah, well that's kind of fun. And then lo and behold, uh, Violet is on the short list for the new human child. And um, Carolyn had said to me, she said, you know, Violet's on the short list. I said, oh, I said, interesting. Does she need a mom? <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing she might. And she said, yeah, I'm, I might I might plant some seeds as far as that goes. I said, well, hey, if you hear of any auditions that are happening, you know, just let me know. And what's great is I got to, with Zoe, and oh, and also by this point, Violet had been on the show as a human extra, as a child extra. They just kept bringing her back because she's such a great kid. So she was being an extra in other scenes and everything. And every time she would come, we would play together. Uh, she She's a ballet dancer, so she has always loved Zoe. 
uh, I sent video greetings with Zoe for her for her birthday, that kind of thing. We just had this really nice Zoe-Violet relationship. And so she, uh, Carolyn said, we're going to do this thing. It's going to Violet, but she doesn't know it. She's coming to the studio here, to 3A, the, the, the little studio that we shoot in at the Sesame Workshop offices. She said, she's coming in. They think it's for one more callback. But we're going to tell her on camera. She said, and actually, I, I, think, I think Zoe should tell her. And I went, oh my God, really? Really? Can I do that? That would be incredible. So, so she comes in and what's great is this is just who Violet is. Any other kid walking into a set with the Muppet characters, having been called in, being told it's another callback would go, oh, okay. So this is part of the callback. Okay. Where's my mark? Oh, I guess I'd better, you know, what's going on? What's the scene? You know? Uh, and she was just so happy to see her friends. She was so happy to see her, her character friends that she adored. And, and so she was on camera with Zoe. And what's so weird is that we were shooting a Halloween thing. So Zoe is dressed like the bride of Frankenstein. She's got this giant <laughs> black and white striped wig. And, and Violet came in to just chat with her friends, the characters. Cause again, that is just the kind of kid she is. She had had, I want to say she was seven and she, for her birthday, she just wanted to go to Sesame place. And she said, I know I'm way too old for Sesame Place, but I don't care. It's my favorite place on earth. So I like to go every year. So she did. But um, so uh, I had Zoe, you know, come come close to her and, and they had cameras rolling on this whole thing while it happened. I haven't seen it. I would love to see it at some point. Um, but so Zoe was talking to Violet and said that she was sorry that she hadn't uh, been able to give Violet a birthday greeting because I had been doing that with Zoe for a couple of years by this point, because her birthday had just happened. But Zoe said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I wasn't able to do that. But she said, uh, I do have a pretty good birthday present for you as a belated birthday present. And that birthday present is that you're going to be our new neighbor on Sesame Street. And Violet couldn't believe it. She did, she, she thought, she thought, she wasn't sure what she was hearing. She didn't believe what she was hearing. And then all the other characters came over and said, yes, welcome to the neighborhood. Yes, yes, and started hugging her. And she just, she started trembling and she started crying. And she was, she was so happy and she couldn't speak. She just could not speak. It was such a wonderful moment. And I felt like, ah, oh, I'm so glad I got to be, to be part of this moment. And I kept waiting to sort of hear if maybe they might have auditions to have somebody be Charlie's mom. And uh, then at one point they just said, so yeah, hey, Jen, um, you're going to be Charlie's mom then. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, what, wait, what, what? And again, in the moment, I, I was like, oh, that's incredible. And Carolyn said, yes, I was hoping that would happen. And I was campaigning for it. I said, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then I remembered back to that thing that I'd said early on when we said, you know, if you ever have a question about why a creative decision was made, and if one of the potential answers is to save money, that could possibly be a motivating factor. And since I was already a seasoned player on Sesame Street, it did save them a salary of hiring somebody else. Of course. But, and, and so I thought, you know what? Okay, that's fine. Hey, I'm okay with that. I can accept that. 
Uh, and I knew that in the first episode, basically as Charlie's mom, I just went on to say, you know, okay, go play with your new friend, sweetie. It's fine while moving in. And I thought, okay, so this is really more of a function than a character. And again, I am okay with this. I am totally okay with this. Uh, and then fast forward later in that same season, there was a 4th of July episode and uh, it was a big potluck picnic that everybody was, everybody was bringing a dish and all, everybody was there for, for the fireworks and everything. And, and Charlie, the character of Charlie was there. And so I walked on to the set and Marty said, oh, hey, are you Charlie's mom today? And I went, no, actually I'm, I'm, I'm Zoe in, in one of the big crowd scenes. And he went, why? It's a family holiday. Where the heck is Charlie's mom? Why isn't she with Charlie? And I was like, oh, you raise a good point. And so I, I ran over to the producers and I said, hey, um, do, do, do we miss Charlie's mom in this? Because it is a summer holiday. Where would she be? And what was great is Brian Hemisath, costume designer, was walking by at that moment, looked at, looked at me and he said, well, that's a cute top. Your camera ready as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And they said, yeah, go throw some, some hair and makeup on. So they put me through hair and makeup. And, uh, and Shannon Flynn was directing the episode. And she said, oh, okay, great. Oh, yeah, so you're Charlie's mom? Oh, of course, that's great, wonderful. Okay, so you're going to step down the stairs. You're going to come down the stairs singing these lines. And then you're going to pick up this thing and you're going to do this thing. And I'm like, wait, 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 now I'm singing? I'm singing? What's the song? I don't know the song. Can somebody sing it? Hum me, Paul Rudolph, can you hum me a few bars? What's happening? So all of a sudden, I'm singing a song. And I'm, I'm doing a thing. And I went, oh, this is more than just a function. This is... This is a relationship starting. This is a happening thing. And I've gotten to do another episode that I don't know if I can talk about yet because I don't I don't know where it is in the world of having been filmed or not or what happens in it. But uh, I, I have seen and, and scenes and lines and things. And and so it's a recurring character. So it's like a real thing now. That's great. So, Jen, <laughs> this has been an yes. amazing uh, opportunity to get to, to talk to you about all like Avenue Q and Sesame Street and all these amazing things. Uh, we could talk to you for hours, but this podcast does have to end at some point. And I feel the same way, but oh. I feel the same way. If you ever want to do a part two, I'll be glad to. Done. Excellent. We can take Done. you up on that. Um, but we have a series of questions that uh, that we ask our guests at the end of every episode. Jared and I have different questions that we ask. Uh, these are mine, so feel free to just rapid fire your answers uh, or Take your time and think about it. Who cares? It's our podcast. It's our. I was going to say, I, I, I always tend to talk too much. I'm, I'm not good at the sound bite. Oh, it's. Fine. I get effusive. Whatever you want right. to do. I believe in you. All right. I won't censor you. <laughs> uh, Jen Barnhart, what is the best movie that you watched recently? Oh. Uh. Wow. That's a really good question. Thanks. I, I wrote it myself. I can't, I mean, only because I haven't been doing that much movie watching. I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, catching up on series. Okay, so, so what's, a, what's one of the best uh, TV series that you binged recently? What are you, what are you Discovery. catching up on? Discovery. Well, Star Trek? Star Trek Discovery. Oh, my parents are watching that at the moment. They love it. I just <sighs> caught up myself on Star Trek Discovery. It's so good. Wait, are you caught up right now? I am caught up, caught up. Did you see oh, yeah. who's All in the, the last few episodes of the third season? Mm -hmm. A good friend of ours. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that mm-hmm. and let yeah. people wonder. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. Is that Eric Jacobson? It's not Eric Jacobson, but how cool. Then I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Nor is it Bob McGrath. I'm sorry. No, no, Damn. sadly. But um, no, it's uh, uh, it, I, I think the writing on the show is top notch. Um, I love the inclusion and diversity. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, especially in the the at one point halfway through the third season i looked around and i went wait a minute the only white man is anthony rap and he's not even straight that's right <laughs> wait a minute this just happened yeah and it's and it's wonderful it's yeah. wonderful it's uh, and there's so many good like there's trans characters there's a character they they just introduced who's in a wheelchair um and then there's of course like all the metaphors of the characters who have like you know the the woman who's got the the um uh the implant uh on her on the side of her head and oh uh, yes 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 yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah i yeah, completely uh, agree the the representation is fantastic on that show it really is. And just the writing, the ensemble work, the world building, it's just so good. I completely it's, agree. Yeah, yeah. I, and it actually makes me want to go back and start all over and ramp up into mm. it again. Have you, you know, watched sort the of short treks into it. that go between seasons? I just started that. I just started that for the first those time. Those are my and, favorite the Star Trek things <sighs> it's since the 90s. Like, it's just, those are just perfect. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. They're just so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. so that's a good segue to our next question. Which would you rather? Uh, would you rather travel 20 years into the past or 20 years into the future? Wow. That is a really good question. I'm stumping you. Uh, you're very, very good at this. Um, you know, the good thing about this is that I would have said, even as, as recently as, as a year or two ago, 20 years in the past so that I can warn myself about some <laughs> some choices that I made in my life that may not have been the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, uh, and but that's only in a very sort of personal journey. As far as 20 years in the future is concerned, um, man, it would be fascinating, but I'm also a little daunted by what might happen 20 years in the future I, I i occasionally have apocalyptic nightmares of <laughs> climate change and mm-hmm. you know will there be water well we'll will find out food? one way or another we'll find out yeah. one way or another but um we'll do a 20 years later I guess, catch up after this podcast i guess so well, well actually my up. the other thing i should ask is do i get to be the same age i am now I don't know. Sure. <laughs> whatever Your you rules, want. whatever you like. Interesting. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, actually, maybe in that case, I would I would want to go 20 years into the future and see if maybe I can help change some things. Sure. Or I would need to go back into the past to change things. Oh, never mind. It's or we happy. could just split the difference and we could stay here. <laughs> Timey wimey. Let's stay here. A timey wimey. It makes my head hurt. All, All right. the loopings. This is an easier question for you. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. Hmm. I, I mean, it is technically between. It, it's 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 in that little slitty bun. If 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 it had a layer and then a thing and then a layer on top of it, then it's it's then it's a sandwich. So but you, it's it's you, a bun with a thing stuffed in the middle. If you chop the bun completely. And then, then put it. Then is it a sandwich? Yeah. 
Yeah, as 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 far as I'm concerned, sure. <laughs> sure. Um, quickly, We're asking what the big the... questions on this podcast. This is ridiculous. Of course, a hot dog is a sandwich. What am I thinking? I'm is sitting it? here listening to myself say these things and go, "What are you thinking?" It... Well, because by that same definition, then a lobster roll would technically not be a sandwich either. Right, that's a sandwich. Because a lobster roll is the same thing, but it right. that clearly a lobster roll is a sandwich. Yeah. Maybe it's just because a hot dog isn't really food. It's just chemicals. <laughs> right. right, the real question delicious, is, is a hot dog chemicals. Food? Yeah. Yes. Tasty, uh, tasty chemicals. <laughs> quickly, what is the most obscure Muppet you can think of? Oh. Just like off the top uh, of your head. I can't. One of the Coos Banes. Good. That's a good answer. It's lame. All right, okay. so in every episode, we ask our current guest to write a question for our next guest without knowing who it is. Last week, we interviewed Dave Goals, and he wanted us to ask you, were you ever arrested? Wow. No. <laughs> no. And I'm not I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad about that. Uh. Um, You're a little goody two-shoes, huh? I've never been arrested? <laughs> Me neither. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, what, I was say. Well, well, now, <laughs> would there be grounds for arresting? Now, that's a different uh, matter. I mean, that well, the, what, if it, were you arrested implies that you got caught. That's true. So you're just really so, good at whatever it is that you do. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to, I think the only thing I probably could have gotten arrested for involved uh, the disappearance of a stop sign. And even that's not really arresting. That probably would just involve a ticket. Yeah, you yeah. pay a yeah. pay a big fine. There was for force that. involved though. There wasn't there was force involved though. It wasn't like I climbed up there with a screwdriver and undid the thing. I I I took out a stop sign. Nice. With my car. Oh. <laughs> and I almost sent it hurling through a plate glass window. You that s- that you made that yeah, stop I, sign go, right? I did. I really did. What's I the, was committed to it. What's the statute of limitations on that? <laughs> yeah, in case anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Law enforcement's like, we finally got her. Oh, no. No, uh, and I didn't do anything as fun as, oh, well, I did steal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually. I Yeah, I just I just didn't get caught. Mm. I didn't get caught. That's really what it is. Wow. Yeah. Do you feel I stole a it? wall decoration. No, I stole a wall <laughs> decoration from the Rite Aid on uh, 8th Avenue and 51st Street because I was wrapping a present for my secret Santa at Avenue Q, and I didn't have a bow, and I didn't want to buy a whole package of bows just to put a bow on the present. So I stole a bow off the wall. Wow. Right, well, there we go. Wow. Please don't be, you gotta, please be knocking on your I door any trash moment. this whole podcast now. This is, I don't know how I feel about interviewing a, a known felon. Felon, it's true. It's true. All right. Our final question, without knowing who our next guest is, what question would you like to ask them? Wow. Um, who? It it could be something deep. It could be something stupid. We've had a, we've had a we've had a, had a an array. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is, there's the the next person you talk to, you're gonna say, "Well, Jen Barnhart came up with this question." That's right. Like the second you said Dave Golds came up with this question, I was like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! What's it gonna be?" And it was something that I was like, "Either way, however I answer this question, I feel a little bit like I'm a loser." You know. Well, then it better be good. Uh, <laughs> I know that's, that's what I'm saying. There's pressure involved here. I mean, there is could, pressure involved here. Do you, do you need do you need some do you need some help? Do we need to come up with something? Uh, uh, if you, what's the most embarrassing thing you've never admitted? 
Ooh. Oh, I like that. Ooh, that's going to give us some good juicy goss on this uh, on this podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes. I don't have to answer it myself, do I? No, no, no. You're I mean, good. you can if you Great. like, but <laughs> nope. Good there. I'm all good. I'm all good. If only Dave Goals had thought to ask that instead. <laughs> Missed opportunity. See, take that, Dave. Take that. <laughs> uh, <sighs> Jen, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Oh for my being gosh. With us. What a what a treat. thank you for letting me come talk to you guys and thank you for bearing with the technical difficulties of my temperamental signal. All good. We got there in the end. Yes, we did. Uh, so well thank you an... to uh everyone listening. Oh, I'm sorry, Jared, I stepped up. I was here. gonna say this has been a genuine pleasure. Like the best part of this is I had no idea I was gonna be talking to you until two hours ago. Um Yay! and as soon as as soon as Joe said your name, I was like, Oh my god, like all these questions swelled up my Avenue Q fanboy came out and I was like, this oh. is going to be excellent. And, oh, I and it has so not much. disappointed at all. I am so glad. See, and here I was thinking that it was truly a surprise in the sense of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to try to figure out how to take my headshot off of that still frame. And I'm going to just have to put question marks where my name would be on the zoom chat. And that we would find out in, you know, in the moment of the podcast. All right. Who have you got for me today, Joe? And then, you know, boom. We, we considered doing it that way, and we realized it would be really difficult. It was so really <laughs> hard like, to do. We'll just do it all in a pre-show. Maybe season two. We'll just give it a go. But really, yeah. like, and this is a little peek behind the curtains for people listening. Um, I didn't find out until probably about a minute before you joined the Zoom chat. So it really is pretty Yeah, we quick. timed it well. Yeah. yeah, no prep time. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, it just felt like spontaneous and it was fun and talking to old and new friends. So I'm very, very grateful. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much.